Gospel, chapter 11. <clears throat> Luke, chapter 11. Just let you find that. And we'll just read uh, verse 1 of Luke 11. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place... When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. In this new series of prayer uh, that we began last Sunday morning, I am very conscious, and no doubt you are too, there is an area that, excuse me, that most believers struggle with. It seems to be a difficulty that most believers have. You may be surprised at that, or it may be unsurprising. We know this, and it's evidenced by the absolute fact that the prayer meeting in every church in the land is the least attended service of the whole week. Now that tells us something. Now excuse yourselves. and No doubt there are some legitimate reasons, but most of them really are excuses that we make. And I think at the end of it, what we probably really mean is this, it's too hard. Or I'm not very good at it. Or I don't feel like it. Val English, who's a retired Baptist pastor, I one time heard him tell the story of a young man in his church, a new convert. He said it was a Friday evening, and it was the prayer meeting. And he was praying his first prayer. And he began like this. Oh Lord, it's Friday night, and everybody out there is enjoying themselves, and here we at the prayer meeting. <laughs> And they actually said what most people think. That the permitting's tough, it's hard, it's a struggle. And perhaps you may feel, well, I'm the only one who feels that way. Because the more spiritual ones, well, it's just a breeze to them. They just seem to eat, sleep, and breathe prayer. But as for me, well, it's difficult. Maybe we're not sure if it really works. Maybe we're not absolutely convinced that God really hears our prayers. Maybe we're not sure that God actually answers prayer. And if he does answer prayer, why isn't he answering my prayer? I'm just speaking out loud because this is what sometimes we think. You may also say, well, I try, David, but I find that my mind wanders. I find that I get easily distracted. And after about five minutes, I, I don't know what to say anymore. I run out of things to say, to pray. And I find it difficult. I listen to others pray, and, and my prayers seem very weak and anemic and skinny in comparison to their full and rich and mature prayers. Did you ever feel like that? 
Well, you're not alone because the disciples indicated that they too struggled with prayer. That they were dissatisfied with their prayer life or their lack of it. Because that's why they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to know how to pray. Sidlow Baxter was a great old British preacher. He died in 1999. He was a man that was in great demand all over the world. Conventions, conferences. He wrote many books, some of which have become classics in the Christian world. And just about every Bible student I would know has got a Sidlow Baxter book in their library. Well, Sidlow Baxter struggled with prayer. And he said, particularly at the beginning of his ministry, he really, really struggled with prayer. He's a great orator. He's very skillful in communication. But he said when he went to pray, he had a struggle. And he says the struggle was simple. A part of me wanted to pray, and a part of me didn't want to pray. The part of me that didn't want to pray was my emotions. The part that did want to pray was my intellect and my will. And he says that struggle was continuous. And then in his own inimitable way, he tells the story of that struggle. Let me read it to you. He said, As never before my will and I stood face to face, I asked my will the straight question, Will, are you ready for an hour of prayer? Will answered, Here I am, and I'm quite ready if you are. So Will and I linked arms and turned to go to our time of prayer. At once, all the emotions began pulling the other way and protesting, We're not coming. I saw Will stagger just a bit. So I asked, Can you stick it out, Will? And Will replied, Yes, if you can. So Will went, and we got down to prayer, dragging those wriggling, obstreperous emotions with us. It was a struggle all the way, though. At one point, when Will and I were in the middle of an earnest intercession, I suddenly found one of those traitorous emotions had snared my imagination and had run off to the golf course. And it was all I could do to drag that wicked rascal back. <laughs> a bit later, I found out another one of the emotions had sneaked away with some off-guard thoughts and was in the pulpit two days ahead of schedule preparing a sermon that I had not finished preparing. Preaching a sermon that I not finished preparing. Hey, that's a problem I've got. You wouldn't believe the many times I'm in prayer and suddenly I'm in the pulpit and I'm preaching. Because I pray a thought and I thought, oh, that's good. And then my mind's away on somewhere else and I'm making a sermon out of it. At the end of that hour, if you'd asked me, have you had a good time? I would have to reply, no. It's been very wearying wrestling with contrary emotions and a truant imagination from beginning to end. And what is more, that battle with the emotions continued for between two and three weeks. And if you'd asked me at the end of that period, have you had a good time in your daily praying? I would have to confess, no. At times it seemed as though the heavens were brass and God too distant to hear and the Lord Jesus strangely aloof in prayer accomplishing nothing. Anybody ever been there? There's only two of us that are truthful. Three, four. Clifford, would you have communion after this so that most of the church could have repented? 
Yet something was happening. For one thing, Will and I really taught the emotions that we were completely independent of them. Also one morning, about two weeks after the contest began, just when Will and I were going for another time of prayer, I overheard one of the emotions whisper to the other, Come on, you guys. It's no use wasting time anymore resisting. They'll go just the same. That morning, for the first time, even though the emotions were still suddenly uncooperative, they were at least quiescent, which allowed Will and me to get on with prayer undistractedly. Then, another couple of weeks later, what do you think happened? During one of our prayer times, when Will and I were no more thinking about the emotions than the man on the moon, one of the most vigorous of the emotions unexpectedly sprang up and shouted, Hallelujah! At which all the other emotions acclaimed, Amen! And for the first time, the whole of my being, intellect, will, and emotions was united in one coordinated prayer operation. All at once, God was real. Heaven was open. The Lord Jesus was luminously present. The Holy Spirit was indeed moving through my longings. And prayer was surprisingly vital. Moreover, in that instant, there came a sudden realization that heaven had been watching and listening all the way through those days of struggle against chilling moods and mutinous emotions. And also that I had been undergoing necessary chittering by my heavenly teacher. <laughs> isn't that good? And isn't it truthful? I think he encapsulates in that what many of us have struggled with. And so, today, before we go any further in our studies in this series, and we begin to deal with things like uh, different kinds of prayer, petition, supplication, prayer of agreement, prayers of intercession. And before we talk about things like hindrances to prayer, and I don't mean that which stops us praying, but that which stops our prayers getting answers. And so before we go into many other areas, I want to first ask ourselves this morning, what is prayer? What constitutes prayer? Because prayer is so fundamental. It's so vital to our whole Christian walk. It's like the oil in our engine. It's like the charge in our battery. It's like the air in our tire. We're not going to go very far without those essential things. And so what is prayer? How would we define prayer? How would you describe prayer if you're asked? Because you're going to be asked on Tuesday night. That's one of the cell group questions you're going to be asked. So think about it. How would you describe prayer? I wrote this down. Prayer is simply communicating with God. It is entering into dialogue with the Lord God Almighty, the maker of the ruler of the universe. It's conversing with our Heavenly Father. It's coming before Him in humility, reverence, and simple faith. Believing that he hears us and welcomes us into his throne room. Evangelist David Greeno, many of you know, uh, he always sends a little Christmas letter out to everyone. And in this particular Christmas letter, uh, it so happened he had a little article about prayer, a tract about prayer. And so I wrote some of the points down, some of the descriptions he has of prayer. I thought they were brilliant. He calls it the ultimate communication system 
dialing direct to God's heavenly throne room. Or an encounter with the miraculous, a trip into the supernatural. Or a meaningful journey into the heart of God. That's good, isn't it? Not a slavish duty, but a glorious redemptive privilege. Or fellowshipping with God our Father in the spiritual dimension. Or talking it over with God, simply that. Or using our Calvary purchase right to approach and commune with God. Or our heart's desire turn Godward. Or man's greatest need of tapping infinite resources. Or stark human need knocking at the door of merciful almightiness. That's good, isn't it? Or indicates a dependence upon God, inviting God and his supplies into the situation. And asking and a receiving of God's help through Christ's merits alone. I like this one. Petitioning one of unbounded goodness, infinite knowledge and unlimited power. A means of releasing God's purpose, power and provision on the earth. Seeking the help of God on things beyond our own ability or power. Securing possibilities not otherwise available. Cashing Bible checks, prayer promises at the bank of heaven. A detonator that releases the power of God. <laughs> Faith making a request for what God has promised. Finally, cooperating with God's willingness to show his goodness to all who truly call upon him. And so, some definitions of prayer. I think that the disciples watching Jesus pray, I think that they saw that for him it was so natural. It was so simple and yet it was so profound. What he prayed. I think that whenever Jesus said, Father. I think at that moment when he said, Father. That they realized that he knew that God was his Father. That it wasn't just words he was saying. It wasn't like the Pharisees praying who did it by rote who it was just a ritual. When Jesus prayed, they realized he is touching heaven. He is being intimate with the Father. And I think that's what really impressed them. And whenever Jesus prayed, he, he constantly used the word Father. And I would preface that with the Aramaic word, Abba, or we say Abba, Abba. And the only equivalent word in English would be dad or daddy. It would be a word that would be used in the home every day as a son addressing his father, Abba. And Jesus used it. Now, the Jews wouldn't use that term when addressing God. They would use it in the home addressing their earthly father, but they wouldn't use it addressing God. They would certainly call God Father because as far as they were concerned, he was the father of all creation. 
certainly the father of the nation of Israel, the father of the Abrahamic race, but not that intimate, personal, close way that Jesus would use, Abba, Father. The father, by the way, was a Greek term. It was uh, Peter. And so Jesus put those two together. In fact, the apostle Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 8, where he's talking about us with the spirit of adoption, whereby we call God Abba, Father, Abba, Father. And so Paul even picked up on that. And so this was a term that even the Lord used. And again, that got the attention of the disciples because they never ever would have heard anybody using that term. And, and of course they realized that Jesus didn't use it lightly or irreverently or flippantly, not at all, but intimately and passionately. And each time he said, Abba, Father, they, they realized that he really is in touch. He really is talking to the Heavenly Father here. And that's the way that he wants us to pray. He wants us to come before our Heavenly Father and to be intimate and treat him as not just the great almighty God, which he is, but he is our Father. And in his prayer, the model prayer, which we didn't read in Luke 11, and in Matthew, which is a fuller version, when you pray, say what? Our Father. So he, he was getting them into that mode of realizing that God, the Almighty God, is actually your Heavenly Father. And you can come to Him at any time and you can address Him as your Heavenly Father. And so for all of those reasons, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. There was something about the way that Jesus prayed, challenged them and drew them and attracted them to want to pray more. Anything that challenges and draws us to prayer is a good thing. Sadly, for most of us, we've got to wait till there's a crisis or an emergency. And whenever we try every way to work it out and it doesn't work out, then the last ditch effort, well, it's come to this, we've got to pray, it's bad. Whereas Jesus wants us to pray first. And to come to our Heavenly Father. So why pray? Why pray? Well, because we're commanded to. Really isn't optional. It's not like an optional extra you get in your car, like a sat-nav. It's something that's commanded in Scripture. Let me just read a few verses to you. Luke 18 and 1, Jesus said, Men ought always to pray, ought always to pray, and not to lose heart. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul said, pray without ceasing. Now that doesn't mean to say you can go about all day when you're doing your work-a-day job and just say to the boss, well, I've got to spend four hours in prayer here, so... You can dock me if you like, but I got it. It doesn't work that way. He's not meaning that. But to have a prayerful attitude, a prayerful spirit, so that at any point in the day that you can just whisper a short prayer, you can just breathe a prayer unto the Lord. Pray without ceasing. It's more than just not giving up praying. First Timothy 2 8. 
Paul says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere. Colossians 4.2, continue earnestly in prayer. There's a wee nurse going off her jillies. God bless you, Jillian. You forgot something, did you? All right. You see, good job I spoke to you. You'd have been away without it, wouldn't you? Her keys. There you are. She's so keen to go out and serve the, the community that she forgot her car keys. God bless you, Jillian. With a red face. <laughs> and then Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7 and 5, Give yourselves to fasting and prayer. That's another area that we'll get into as we go on in the series. Give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Then there's a verse in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, where Samuel said this to the people, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Ah, let's just pause there. Did you hear what Samuel said? Samuel said, actually, if I don't pray for you, I'm sinning against the Lord. So not praying can be a sin. We think of sin as something evil and wrong and bad and horrible. But actually, not praying. We have got a responsibility to pray. And then, of course, Isaiah 56 and 7, and Jesus used this term. Remember when he was whipping out the money changers out of the temple? And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Sadly, our churches are not really houses of prayer, are they? And so, why pray? Because we're commanded to. Why pray? Because our Lord prayed. Because He prayed. Now think of this for a moment. Here is the Son of God. Here is the incarnate Son of God. God made in human likeness, in human flesh. And yet he himself, who had left the throne of God, he himself felt the need, the had to, the want to, to pray. And if he had to pray, and of John the Baptist, who taught his disciples to pray, who was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, who was the greatest prophet Jesus had ever lived, if he had to pray, surely we got to pray too. Do you know that of the 33 years that Jesus spent upon this earth, that only about 50 or so days are actually recorded in the Bible? There wouldn't be space for all the things that Jesus did and said. But what we need to know he did and said is here. So there's only about 50 odd of his days are recorded. But he was incredibly busy. His workload was amazing. Now we know that he was a young man. He was only 
33 when he died. He was at the peak of his fitness and strength. Knew all of that. But his schedule was just unbelievably busy. In Mark's gospel, which is a servant gospel, portrays Jesus as a servant, the key word is straightway or immediately. And actually, Mark records for us the busiest day of Jesus' life. And I'm going to read it to you. And then we'll have a little closer look at it. And let's see how Jesus handled the busiest day. Because I know that both of us, all of us, sometimes we say, I I've been too busy today. It's been too difficult just finding the moment. Come with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Now, I can't read all of this, obviously, but just read a portion of it. just trying to see where we're going to break in here to this. Well, let's read in verse 16. <clears throat> As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little further, from there he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also and the boat mending their nets, and immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat, and the hired servants, and he went with them. Then they went out into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, now from this point on, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. The very first thing he does, he preaches. Think about his schedule. He's preaching. How long he preached, we do not know. How long he was teaching, we do not know. But you can imagine that there would be a lot of people with a lot of questions. And he would take time to ask and answer questions. Then in verse 23, Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, when it convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So he has preached, he has taught, he has cast out devils. Now his word has gone around in the whole area. And as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew and James with John and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. And they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. So now his morning has consisted of preaching, casting out devils, healing the sick. 
Now, probably a short meal followed. And then at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now think of this. It says the whole city was gathered at the door. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people turned up. And for hour upon hour upon hour, he would minister to them. And no doubt he would listen to their stories and talk to them. Uh, and people would come with illnesses and diseases. They would come with problems, maybe emotional problems, and mental health issues, physical diseases, all kinds of stuff was happening. And he would pray for them. He would heal their sick and maybe counsel with them. That going hour after hour after hour. Boy, this is a long day, isn't it? Let me tell you something. Some of these fellows now that's preaching in the church, Martin and Tony, they're beginning to realize especially if they have to preach twice in the one day, it, it, it pulls something out of you. And when you're dealing with people's problems and situations and you're praying and you're... It, 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 it drains you sometimes. Can you imagine how Jesus must have felt at the end of this day? Physically, even emotionally, because he was a human being. Listen, all those needs and all those problems and healing and ministering and preaching and casting devils and healing. It's like all that all day and all that evening for hour after hour. But look at this. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight. I don't know you, but after a day like that, I think I'd have wanted to lie in bed at lunchtime the next day having risen a long while before even daylight, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. <laughs> no respite. Do you remember one time he got into the, after a busy, busy day, he got into the boat and he says, fellas, let's go over to the other side. You know, let's come apart and rest a while. And, and how that the people went all the way around the shore, so when they got to the other side, they were still there. Do you remember that? Do you remember how one time he was so physically exhausted that he was on the boat, and in the midst of a terrible storm where they thought the boat was going to capsize, what was he doing? He was sleeping on a pillow. He was fast asleep. The storm didn't even waken him up. I don't know about you, but the other night, the storm woke me up. Uh, in my imagination, I could see roof tiles off. I could see the TV aerial of somebody's garden. I could think, oh dear, it's going to fall in my car because it did that one time before. You think, I can hardly sleep. Jesus was so exhausted, it wasn't a problem to him sleeping. Sometimes he actually prayed all night up the mountain. Never came down to the morning. And so you see, we ought to pray because it's commanded and because our Lord prayed. Now, you know the amazing thing is this. Let me just throw this in. 
apart from being such a vital part of his life and ministry on earth, do you know that that's his ministry right now? Do you know that right now as I speak to you that Jesus at the right hand of the Father is praying for you? He's interceding for you right now. That's what he does. His ministry on earth is over physically. The Holy Spirit has come, one just like him. But right now at the right hand of the Father, this is what it says in Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is always able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since Listen to it. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. So if you're going through a rough time, if you're in a difficulty, and, and we forget this, at that very moment, I know we ought to pray, but if we can remember at that moment that Jesus himself is praying for us, it's incredible that he should do that. But he does. You know, you say to a friend, you know, pray for me. You ring somebody up and says, look, I'm going through some things. Pray for me. That's wonderful. That's great. But Jesus is praying for you. He's interceding in your behalf. And when that old enemy comes and accuses us, we've got to advocate, the Bible says, in heaven, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who sits at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for us. Let me just throw something else in here before we quickly move on. Samuel Lappin came to me two weeks ago and he asked me just to think about this. I'm going to say this, Samuel. He was asking me about, and this is for everybody and anybody that wants to do this, that if you need prayer, if there's somebody you feel I could ask to pray for me. It may be two or three people. It may be four people. Maybe just a little little group of people. People that you can trust. People will not break the confidence. So you've got to be careful who you would do this with. So that you're in contact. So that at some point there may be something you need prayer for. There may be three people that you could say, listen, I'm going for an appointment today. I'm going for an interview today. I'm going to get this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to try this. Could you pray for me today? And know that they would pray for you. Not that they'd say, oh yeah, certainly, and then forget about you, but they would pray for you. So I'm throwing it open to you. If there's a few people, now let me throw this in for me, just while we're speaking on this. Now, let me back up. Ladies go to ladies, men go to men. Be very careful who you draw close to in prayer. If you're a married man, don't draw close to a married woman in prayer or a single woman. Don't do it. I'm telling you, do not do that. Because the enemy could use that against you. Many a man and many a woman has drawn close to, to another person in a church or somewhere else because they felt in prayer, they, they, they touched something together in prayer. And before you know, the devil has used that in their emotions. And it's caused trouble. So 
be very, very careful who you do it with. And, of course, you've got to trust the person. You've got to believe that if you tell them in confidence, they'll keep it in confidence. Is that all right, Sam? Okay. Now, here's what I want. I would love six people in this church to promise to pray for me every single day. For all I know, there could be six people. There could be more than that praying for me in this church. I don't know. You don't tell me, so I don't know. But I would love at least six people to make a promise before God. So think about it. Don't just come and tell me and then forget about it. Before God, to pray for me every single day. And say, David, every day I will hold you up before the throne of grace. Because I need your prayers. Because I need the wisdom of God. I need the power of God. I need the anointing of God. I need the spirit of revelation and the word of God. I need all of that. So I need people to surround me in prayer. Is that all right? So I'll leave that with you. Now, let's move on quickly. Because time's shooting through here. Why pray? Because it's commanded to. Because our Lord prayed, because prayer is the method God uses for us to obtain grace and mercy. And who among us doesn't need grace and mercy? Hmm? Well, you're looking all quite self-righteous this morning, so maybe you don't need it like me. I need grace and mercy every day. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 4 and 14 and 16. Saying then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God wants to extend his grace and his mercy to you, but he wants you to come in prayer to the throne of grace and mercy. You say, well, God's God, he can do what he wants. No, it's not the way it works. He wants relationship. He wants you to come because it's, it's, it's being humble before him. It's acknowledging, Lord, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I cannot go on without that. I can't do what I'm doing without grace and mercy. So, Lord, I come to you and I ask for your grace and your mercy. Simple. But do we do that? My guess is most times we don't. We need it every day. I don't, you know, sometimes we think grace and mercy is just whenever we fall. It's whenever we sin. Yeah, it can cover that. But we need grace for a multitude of things. We need grace to minister. We need grace to live every day as a believer. We need grace. Where are we going to get it? How does God impart it? Through prayer. Through coming to the throne of grace, he calls it. What a beautiful term. The throne of grace. Now, we're just a bit through. Why pray? Because prayer is the antidote to worry and anxiety. It's the antidote. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be 
anxious for nothing. Now, I don't, you and I feel that we are justified about being anxious about certain things. Paul says, no. He says, be anxious for nothing. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew, take no thought. And it means take no anxious thought. It doesn't mean to say don't plan, don't work things through, but take no anxious, worrying thought. And Paul reiterates, be anxious for nothing. How do we do that? We can't do it unless we look at the second part. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. What a powerful antidote to worry and anxiety. It's very hard to worry if we're coming in prayer to God and giving Him our prayers, giving Him our requests with thanksgiving and saying, Lord, I give this to you. It's hard then to be anxious and worry and fret. He said the peace of God would garrison it would garrison our minds like soldiers standing as guards around our mind. It's our mind that gets us, isn't it? Our hearts may be good, but it's the old mind that gets us, isn't it? It's the imagination runs riot, isn't it? Did you ever get a call at three in the morning? It's always bad, isn't it? At least you think it's going to be bad, doesn't it? You mean your first thought, this must be awful. Nobody would ring me at this time of the morning. And your imagination, before you ever get to the phone, your imagination has run riot. We need something to guard, garrison our hearts and our minds. This is what it is. Coming in prayer. And everything by prayer and supplication. And then finally, in John 16. Verse 16. John 16, Jesus said, A little while and you will see me. Sorry, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will see me. And again, a little while. Sorry, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. And they said, Therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he's saying. But Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. So he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, 
And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Unto now, you have asked nothing in my name. Now, they didn't need to because he was there with them. Unto now, you have asked nothing in my name. But he says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, we don't usually associate prayer with joy. Sure we don't. Struggle, battle, it's tough, it's a wrestle, and all of those features come into it. But we rarely ever think of prayer as a joyful thing. But Jesus sent the disciples, says, they're coming a day. He says, you will ask the Father in my name, and he will give it to you. And in that day, when you receive the answer to your prayer, your joy will be full. What a thrill it is when you pray to God and he gives you the answer. It's a joyful thing to know, Lord, I asked you for that. I prayed for that. Maybe you prayed a long time for that. But Lord, you've given it to me. The answer has come. What a joy that is to know that God has actually heard and answered your prayer. Amen. Jesus says, ask that you may receive, that your joy may be full, may be complete. It's part of her joy missing whenever we're not getting the answers and we're not asking to get the answers. We're not praying for the answers. There's so much more we've got to look at in this whole subject. But I want to encourage you as it goes on. Now, we had a few more come into the prayer meeting on Thursday night. Wonderful. We need more. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if there's more in a prayer meeting than there is on Sunday? Wouldn't that be fantastic? That would be the biggest miracle of the 21st century. But it would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Now, let's just close in prayer this morning. We've had communion. Do we have the offering? Okay. Well, we better do that before we close in prayer, won't we?